0: Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and or Brown Talk podcast. You may be getting this in your feed a little earlier than Tuesday, but still, our Tuesday Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast where Mary Kay Cabot answers questions from our Football Insider subscribers. Uh, today we talk a little bit about the schedule. Should we read into the early part of the schedule and what it might mean for a Deshaun Watson suspension? We talk about the drafts and the Browns' decision to trade out of 44, what they got and how we'll ultimately judge that. Uh, And we also get into, of course, people want to know about Baker Mayfield. So we talk a little bit about that, too, and a whole lot more on this edition of the podcast. If you're not a Football Insider subscriber, uh, you are missing out on a daily newsletter that comes to your inbox every single day. You're not a tech subscriber, which is where we get most of these questions from. And you're not getting access to those exclusive stories on Cleveland.com slash Brown. So if you want to get in on all of that. Go to cleveland.com slash browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page. Get info, get signed up. All right, here we go. Our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. we go on our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast football insiders, sending us all sorts of questions to get to about all things Browns. So Mary Kay, let's get right to it. And I want to start with this one from Howard in Los Angeles, because uh, in your insider column on Sunday, you had a little bit about Jarvis Landry, uh, how it seems like it's probably not going to happen. Now that David Bell is in the fold, uh, he's likely going to open as the slot receiver. Um, even though he does have that ability to move outside, as he wrote. But uh, with Bell here, it seems less and less likely that Jarvis Landry is going to come back. So Howard's question is, hey, Mary Kay, is it Jarvis or is it the Browns who are not keen on having him come back? He doesn't understand why they would not want him anymore.
1: Well, you know, I'm going to say at this point, it's probably a little bit more the Browns. I mean, it's it's kind of a two-way street. I think Jarvis needs a change of scenery himself as well. He's been through a lot here. It's been a very tumultuous four seasons for him in Cleveland. And uh, and I do think that he probably might benefit from moving on himself. But I also think the Browns are looking at this realistically and, and seeing that they do have Dave, David Bell now. They feel very confident that Deshaun Watson will raise the level of ability and talent of the receipt, the young receivers on the roster. So they think they're going to get a lot more out of Donovan Peoples Jones, they think they're going to get more out of Anthony Schwartz. Again, they really like David Bell a lot. And of course they have Amari Cooper. So I think, um, I think they just feel like they have what they need. Now, at some point, if somebody shakes out during, uh, you know, Cuts, final cuts, or something like that, and they add another veteran, so be it. But right now, in addition to the fact that they uh the the Jarvis ship has sailed, I don't uh get any vibe that there is interest in a Will Fuller or a Cole Beasley or anybody like that.
0: Yeah, and you know, you've mentioned this. Sometimes there can be a little bit of um, I don't know what the word is, I don't know, bitterness is the word, but like when a team cuts a player sometimes it can be hard for that player to come back. Um, Even if maybe they kind of want to, even if the money might be right. We saw it with Sheldon Richardson um, last year. When a team kind of says, no, we don't want you. Even if that door is still open just a little, it can be a little difficult to swallow your pride and come back.
1: Absolutely. That is a large part of it because I'm sure Jarvis feels, he gave his heart and soul to the Cleveland Browns. And when they ask you to take a pay cut and it doesn't work out, And then they cut you. Uh, Yeah, that is not exactly uh, going to leave you with warm and fuzzy feelings about the football team uh, that you just spent all of that time with. And I think you also probably saw that Odell Beckham Jr. made reference to look what they did to my buddy. Um, So I think there's, you know, there's probably, uh, you know, a little bit of not necessarily bad blood, but something other than, you know, just a, a great, warm relationship going on right now. Uh, I I do think that it's probably just there was mutual interest. When I was at the annual meetings at the end of March, uh, there was mutual interest. I talked to Jarvis's new agent, Roosevelt Barnes, Barnes, and he basically uh, told me on the record that at that time, there was mutual interest on the part of Jarvis and the Browns. But that's basically over now, and it's not going to happen. So
0: the the Odell thing is interesting. And You brought it up. I, I did kind of want to ask you uh, about that. Um, it just popped into my head. So with Odell, he's been going on Twitter a lot. Um, I guess maybe he's bored as, uh, as he waits for uh, where he's going to play next year and, and for the season to start as he's recovering from that that torn ACL. We mentioned this a little bit after the Super Bowl, kind of the narrative around how everything ended with Odell. And it sort of feels like in his tweets he's – I guess he's almost doubling down on this idea that like he would have come back and played for the Browns and everything would have been fine. And they kind of didn't let him do that. Do you think that Odell believes that it could have still worked in Cleveland and it it was sort of the Browns that made him go?
1: You know what? I I don't, that's not the sense that I get when I talk to uh, sources, when I talk to people off the record, that's not the vibe that I get. It didn't, it didn't at all at all sound to me like Odell was just waiting uh, for them to say, yeah, come on back in. It wasn't like that. He uh, it's my understanding is that he told them that he would not play for them anymore. And so I, I, you know, I mean, that's uh, opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of, you know, some of the things that are being said. So it's it's really hard to know exactly what the truth is, but I, I just don't get the sense that, um, you know, that he was just, you know, sitting, waiting on the edge of his seat for them to say, come on back. We, you know, we want you back in here, come to practice.
0: Yeah. It just seems like, like that narrative is changed. And certainly look, Odell is going to see it a certain way. You know, it happened to him. That's, that's how this works. Right. I mean, he, he's going to feel a little bit like the victim in all of this and the Browns might say differently, but uh, it, it just kind of struck me. It, it felt like, you know, obviously, when that came up on the Super Bowl broadcast, your first thought is, OK, that must have been set in a production meeting or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see Odell kind of tweeting stuff and tweeting with Browns fans and, and sort of saying a lot of the similar things. It's, it's pretty obvious that he thinks that the Browns maybe didn't do him as many favors as some of us believe.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, sometimes other people get involved. And actually, most of the time, other people get involved. And Odell Beckham Jr. had an entourage. So perhaps Odell was thinking or saying one thing, and his agent was thinking and saying another. And you know, maybe his agent had a strategy and didn't necessarily articulate it perfectly or clearly or fully to Odell, look, this is how we're going to get you out of here. You know, sometimes people leave their client, agents leave their clients a little in the dark while they work the system over here. And I think there's some of that that might have gone on, that maybe Odell didn't know that he was going to wake up and see that his father had posted the video. And maybe he didn't know that his agent said, hey, here's what our next move is going to be. So he might have just been, you know, in the dark a little bit about how this was all going down. So the truth actually could be somewhere in the middle.
0: Okay. Here's another Jarvis question. Um, and this is an interesting one from Kevin in Loveland, Colorado, who also says, who also offers you a happy uh, belated Mother's Day. Mary Kay We're recording this on Monday. Uh, so Kevin says, Hey, Mary Kay. Who do you think will fill the leadership role for, jed- for the jettison Jarvis Landry on offense? He's not as concerned on defense with Miles, John Johnson. He thinks JOK can develop into the leader. On offense, who do you think fills that leadership void?
1: Well, you know, it's, it is a great, great question because as we know, Jarvis is very vocal. Uh, you know, he's, he is a leader. Guys really look up to him very much. And they don't have that fiery leader like that in his absence anymore. I will say though, if, if Kareem hunt is healthy, he's somebody who, you know, who has that, uh, you know, that more fiery vocal nature about him. So he, he's one person that can kind of get guys fired up and set the tone in some ways. I think Nick Chubb, even though he's kind of quiet is willing to step up into more of a leadership role. I think you're going to have to count on Deshaun Watson for a lot of that. I think that uh, Deshaun Watson I mean, providing that he's around, I mean, we don't know what the suspension is going to be, but when he is there, uh, I think that, you know, you could already see in some of the photos and things like that, that guys are following his lead. And then the other thing I will say about Jarvis Landry, there were times towards the end of last season where I thought his leadership could have been better. And I said this, I've said this before, I think on this podcast or videos or, or whatever the case may be. But in the aftermath of, uh, of the Odell Beckham Jr. saga and in the aftermath of the whole situation with Baker Mayfield, I really felt that, that Jarvis Landry should have spoken to the media and continued to conduct his weekly press conferences with the media, because I think that that would have set a good tone for his teammates. They would see, hey, well, he's still doing that and everything's going to be okay. And I also think that, you know, he could have sent the verbal message and are actually articulated, hey, look, everything is still in front of us. We still support Baker Mayfield. We still uh, believe that we can make the playoffs. So I think there needed, I think he needed to be heard from. And I think the fact that he wasn't heard from, perhaps, you know, you can read into it that maybe he didn't feel those kind of ways, you know, I mean, there's a a good chance maybe he, he didn't. Uh, feel that way. I, I don't know. We never really were able to get to the bottom of it. But I think good leadership includes setting the tone and setting the pace and and the plan forward. And I thought he could have done that a little better.
0: Yeah, and you know it's a, it's sort of a, a weird dynamic because on the one hand, we want we want to hear from Jarvis and we want him to be truthful. Or I don't know, do we want to hear from Jarvis and have him lie to us about how he feels about Baker? But I think regardless, you got to hear from him, right? Whether he's being hundred percent honest, whether he's hiding some of his feelings, whether he's not telling us how he actually feels, it's still important to hear from him every week. And it's pretty easy to do. I mean, we'll, we'll wait all day if we have to, to talk to guys, we've, we've mm-hmm. done it before. So yeah, that, that struck me kind of as the year went along, he spoke, I believe it was after the Pittsburgh game he spoke and then that was it outside of that like five minute interview he did with you guys at his charity thing around Thanksgiving to, to not hear from him at all, even in the exit interviews was just like, okay, this, this is a complete shit. This is a complete one eighty from the Jarvis we've gotten to know. Cause even after bad losses, he would talk, even if he didn't say a whole lot, you kind of got the sense that he didn't want to, he would still do it. Um, And then that just stopped and it stopped right after the Odell thing.
1: Yeah, and for one of the longest tenured players on the team, for a five-time pro bowler, uh, for someone who had always been in Baker's camp previously, I just think it would have been very, very helpful for all involved. Uh, I, th- I think that you I mean Jarvis is savvy enough and certainly media savvy enough to be able to come out and say some things um, without throwing Baker completely under the bus. I think he could have said, look, This was a stressful situation. It was hard on everybody. We need to pull ourselves back together. Obviously, Odell Beckham Jr. is one of my best friends. I hated to see it end like this. It was very unfortunate. There were a lot of different circumstances and a lot of layers to this. But what we need to do right now is pull together as a football team and still accomplish the goals that we set out to do. No matter how anybody feels, we have to set aside those feelings and we have to go out and do the best that we can, and I'm going to set the tone for that, and I'm going to show the way, and so people can look to me and see how I handle this, because this was, like, basically my best friend, and, you know, we were going to win a Super Bowl here, and now that he's gone, uh, it's harder, uh, it's not harder on anybody than it is on me, and therefore, uh, you can count on me, because all I care about is winning.
0: Yeah, well, and then, you know, on top of it all, too, he jumps on that Odell Zoom call during the Super Bowl. It was just weird. The, the ending was really bizarre with Jarvis, and um, I will be very curious wherever he ends up, um, kind of his first introduction, what he has to say. I mean, where do you think he goes? I know Baltimore, there was a little smoke around that. Um, I, I think you mentioned Kansas City. I think we both agree that Kansas City would be a really intriguing fit for him and all the stuff they do, uh, especially with those quick throws behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, there's a lot of places I think Jarvis just kind of fits. New Orleans, of course, is a place he visited, and and they train in uh, Mediare, which I believe is where he was born. So there's a lot of places, though, that I think Jarvis can make himself fit because he's just kind of a useful player.
1: Absolutely, 100%. And anybody can really use a vet, a good quality veteran like that. And I had been advocating that the Browns should re-sign him, but now I sort of see the wisdom in both sides, just kind of saying, okay, that was what it was for the time that he was there. Now it is time for a fresh start for both, you know, let the, um, let the young guys in the receiver room follow Amari Cooper, even though he's not that fiery vocal guy, um, you know, let them kind of find their way a little bit and, you um, and, you know, I do think that it is time for them to part ways, but um, I mean, he could easily end up in Baltimore. You know, I, I could see him going there and helping out Lamar Jackson. I could see him ending up uh, back in new Orleans. I mean, you know, maybe they wanted to get uh Teron Matthew done first before they could see if they could afford Jarvis Landry. Um, I thought about him with Kyler Murray when, uh, when Devonte Adams got suspended, of course, they, um, you know, they did their own things out there to make up for that, which made sense after the draft, but I could still see Jarvis helping out there and a number of other places. So I think he'll have a job sooner than later. And uh, hopefully for the Browns, he won't come back to hunt them twice a year with the Ravens.
0: Okay. So I'm going to go rogue here with, with my next question. I want to stay on the receivers because one of the things that you wrote in your insider column too, and this perked up my, my ears when I read it, I don't know why my ears would perk up when I read something, but that's what happened. Uh, Mm -hmm. John Mechie was the guy they might have picked at number 44 and going all the way back to the combine. I've been saying like, John Mechie feels like a Browns receiver. So I feel Mm -hmm. like vindicated seeing you write that, that John Mechie would have been the guy that they would have picked at 44. But they didn't make the pick. Instead, they traded back and they come away from that deal with Martin Emerson, Perry on Winfrey and Cade York. Now, that's not exactly. I mean, that, that that's exactly what they got. But, you know, they, they probably could have gotten Cade York at 118. Uh, they traded out of that pick before they picked him at 24. I mean, really, the only extra guy there is Perry on Winfrey. That, that's the guy that I can't quite figure out how they would have still gotten. Um, had they not made this trade. So kind of knowing that it probably would have been Mechie since the corners they didn't like were gone, how do you feel about how that trade worked out and just sort of how they made that decision? We're not going to pick this guy. We're going to trade back. And they end up taking David Bell at 99 instead.
1: Well, first of all, Dan, a victory lap is in order for (laughs) you. You wanted John Mechie. Like you said, that's who they would have taken at number 44 had they decided to stay put and make that pick instead of getting on the phone with the Texans and making that trade down to number 68 and picking up the two extra fourth round picks. So good for you. You saw something in him. You bonded with him at the combine. I always feel like, and you deny this. I always feel like there's probably some good, good eye contact there.
0: Maybe there Uh, was.
1: (laughs) um, So, um, so yeah, he would have been the pick and you know, I was thinking heading into the draft as we were talking about some of these other receivers, I kept coming back to the SEC, SEC receivers. As, I mean, anytime lately uh, we, we hear about like a great rookie receiver, you know, most of the time it's, you know, from LSU or the SEC in some way. So, um, yeah, so I thought that was very interesting that, uh, that it would have been John Metch. And I guess we should have maybe anticipated that a little bit more there at number 44. And, and I think, like you said, some of us actually did. Um, but yeah. So now, now we know what to wonder about over the next three years is John Mechie or Michi? Is it Mechie or Michi? Do you know?
0: I think it's Mechie.
1: Okay. So is John Mechie, you know, a future hall of fame receiver and the Browns totally blew it there. Or did they get the better end of the deal with Martin Emerson at number 68, Perrion Winfrey at 108, and Cade York at number 124? So that's what we are left to wonder about. And as of right now, I think that, again, some of it might come down to how does David Bell versus John Mechie perform? You won't miss John Mechie as much if David Bell – is productive uh, for the Browns the way that he was at Purdue. So I think that's part of it too. But if you got those three guys and you get something really good out of all of them, I mean, if you end up with your kicker for the next decade, a starting three technique in Winfrey for the next five or six years, and then a starting cornerback, he could evolve into a starting cornerback, Martin Emerson can uh, that's what you're going to be weighing against what John Mechie ends up doing for the Texans. So, um, so something to watch for now. And we're just going to have to remember and write it down somewhere that that's what they would have done.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't think Mechie's going to be that guy that like you're regretting tenure. I don't think he's going to be like a, like you said, a hall of fame guy. I think he's, I think he's going to be good. Uh, but I think what they got out of that deal, even if you do, like I said, I, you know, they had pick 118. They traded out of of 118 and ended up taking Katie York at 124. So they, they could have still gotten Katie York. Um, Emerson would have been trickier Winfrey. They probably wouldn't have gotten, you, you know, maybe they would have gotten Emerson instead of Alex, Wright. There's a lot of different ways to kind of look at it, but I do think it's probably going to come down to like, if you come away with David Bell as a really good receiver and Perry on Winfrey is Ends up being a steal at 108, and it's sort of like JOK. Okay, maybe he fell for no good reason. Then I, it's hard to walk away from that trade not feeling like a winner. And, and whatever Emerson does is almost a, a bonus there.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, but you know, you you never know. I mean, sometimes quantity doesn't beat quality. And so, you know, I th- I think it is going to be interesting to watch how this works out over the next few years. Um, the other thing about Meche is that he was coming off of a torn ACL. And, um, so that's a, that's a somewhat significant injury risk, although guys come back from those really well. Now it's not what it used to be. They come back faster, they come back better. Um, so it's, it's not, you know, a death sentence anymore to end up having to, to have your ACL repaired. Um, but still, I mean, it was something, it was something to, to think about. Um, but you know, again, now we know where they would have gone with that. And then I also wrote this in the um, in the Insider, and that is um, that they really it, they would have stayed there for Kyler Gordon, the Washington cornerback. If he if he was there for them, that would have been their kind of no brainer. We're picking this guy kind of thing. But he went a couple picks before that.
0: Okay, so I think this question kind of ties into um, a little bit what we were just talking about. It comes from Brian in Minneapolis. Hey, Mary Kay. The Steelers have a core competency drafting receivers and edge linebackers. The Ravens, a defensive line. I would say the Steelers are actually defensive line more, and more than anything. Ravens, a defensive line as well. What do you see or would you like the Browns to have that core competency when it comes to drafting? He suggests corner has been good and offensive line has been good. It's kind of hard because there's been so much turnover, right? I mean, like Kevin Colbert's been with the Steelers forever, so – He's the guy that was so good at identifying those receivers. And, and like I said, has been really good getting defensive linemen. Um, the Ravens have had the core group, you know, first Ozzie Newsome and then Eric DeCosta. They've had that core group together for a while. What do you think this group is going to end up being just really good? Like, we're, you know, five years from now, we're going to say, oh, the Browns took this position. That guy's got to be good.
1: I would say the first thing that comes to my mind is defensive backs, not just cornerbacks, but cornerbacks and safeties. Uh, so you'd be looking at, um, you know, the Grant Delpitz and, um, and, you know, you would be looking at Greg Newsom, Martin Emerson. Uh, so, you know, Andrew Barry was a uh, defensive back in college, and I think he has a real eye for that position. So that would probably be the number one thing in my mind. Um, So that would be that. I I think that if you want to be really good in today's NFL, you have to get good at drafting receivers. You've got to be able to identify those guys and you got to be able to go out and, and make sure you're nailing that position. And the jury's still out on that a little bit. We don't know yet. I mean, last year they drafted Anthony Schwartz in the third round. That's pretty high. So the bar is set fairly high for Anthony Schwartz. He needs to come in and uh, this year, and you know, start to show that he's worthy of you know be, you know working his way sort of into a a starting role or, or you know a really key complementary role. So that's that. And then David Bell. I mean, David Bell. We're you know we're going to have to look at him too, and uh, you know and see what he is two three four years down the road. Um, he's got it seems like he has everything but the speed. It seems like he has everything that they like in a receiver in terms of just football acumen, ability to separate, good hands, um, you know, good physicality, win contested balls, all those kinds of things. Um, but he does not have the speed and. Um, the numbers were a bit of a concern. I mean, it was like four six five at the combine, I think, and then 4-7 or something like that at his um, pro day with extenuating circumstances of bad track, being outside and all that kind of stuff. But um, so you've got those guys. Now, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think this is a year that you can look at Donovan and really start to evaluate him for what he's going to be in the NFL with Deshaun Watson. If he uh, turns out to be really good, maybe even the number two receiver on this football team, then, you know, maybe they're starting to be onto something in terms of being able to draft receivers. Um, but as you know, he, he's got to go out there and, you know, and he's got to do it. And if they found somebody like that in the sixth round and he turns out to be like a number two receiver then you're earning your money there as the personnel department. But I would say those are two positions. Of course, you always, always, always need uh, to be good at drafting quarterbacks. But because I know they have their quarterback for the next, you know, 10 years, I I didn't throw that in there.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, you've got to be good at drafting one quarterback. Yeah, right? I mean, that's that's what it's got. You got it. If you're good at drafting one quarterback, then you can be set for a long time. And the Browns just kind of decided instead of drafting a guy, mm-hmm. they're going to take three first first round picks and go go get a guy for the next 10 years, which that's not a bad way to do it either. If, if you can't find that guy in the draft. Um, OK, we're going to talk some quarterbacks, uh, but first we're going to take a break. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition will go to Bill and Apollo Beach, Florida. It is schedule release week. Mary Kay, I said before we hit record that I'm actually kind of a, like as cynical as I am about some of the NFL gimmicks. I'm like a sucker for the schedule release. There's just there's something about it. I don't know if it's because, you know, the knowledge of kind of knowing where I'm going to be going in the fall or whatever. I don't, I don't know what it is, but maybe I, maybe I just like having a schedule. But I don't know, for some reason, as gimmicky as the schedule releases, I'm just kind of a sucker for the whole thing.
1: Well, it's, it's exciting. It's so exciting for Browns fans. They can make their plans. They can figure out uh, which games that they want to go to, uh, what road trips they might want to make. You find out when the bye week is. You find out if the Browns are you know, going to be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers in the season finale. You know, You'll probably see all of those. AFC North games, um, in the, in the back end of the schedule again. So you'll have a better idea. You'll see if maybe the NFL, um, you know, what it looks like in the first six games when Deshaun Watson might not be here because of a possible suspension. So I think there are plenty of things to look at. Um, and with the Browns, when you have a new, a team that is, um, when you have a team that's trying to get it together with new players, like a new quarterback and a new receiver and Amari Cooper Uh, you know, it might take them a little while to get it together and to get their timing down. So you don't necessarily want to be playing Buccaneers in week one. You know what I mean? There, there are so many things to look at. So I, I think it's fun too. All
0: right. So that leads us to this question from Bill in Apollo beach, Florida. Hey, Mary Kay will the schedule release indicate what might happen with the Sean Watson and any suspension that he might get?
1: I'm going to say no, I'm going to say no. Um, I I don't know that the NFL is necessarily really factoring that in. I think they're just, I don't know. I could be wrong, but uh, there's so many unknowns with that suspension. We don't even know if that suspension is going to be coming down this year. So I think they'll probably just go ahead and make the schedule uh, without taking that into account.
0: I agree. I think there's going to be a lot of that when the schedule comes out. And, you know, when people start seeing the leaks and the, the actual schedule comes out, I think there is going to be a lot of like, oh, well, that schedule's pretty tough early. There's a lot of big games early. It must mean he's not getting suspended. I just don't think it's going to be indicative of that at all. because no. I, I mean, the NFL doesn't even know what they're going to do yet.
1: No, I mean, and they don't. And remember, one of the reasons why they don't is because Roger Goodell doesn't hand down that suspension. That is done by a jointly appointed uh, independent arbitrator um, who is um, it's Sue L. Robinson in this case, but jointly appointed by the NFL and the NFLPA. So it's not like Roger sitting around going, hmm. Should I give them five? Should I give them six? You know, it's that's not how it initially will be happening. Yeah.
0: So it just seems like that's too complicated. The the whole schedule thing is so complicated anyway, and, and the way they have to put it together and work with all their TV partners and, and all of that. Um, it just seems like that's it seems awfully complicated to put together to connect those dots on a conspiracy theory that, well, if they play the Panthers and the Jets and these teams in the first four games, it means it's going to be a four-game suspension.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I just don't see it, especially um, because even if it is, let's say it's a six-game suspension, then he's going to appeal it, and who knows what it comes down to after that. So there are just too many variables, too many unknowns, and I don't think that's part of the game.
0: Okay, uh, this is a a two-parter here from Jim and Boardman, and this has to do with the Baker Mayfield situation. Hey, Mary Kay, how much do you believe the thought that no one wants to do any favors for the Browns as a reason why Baker hasn't been traded. And I think anybody that read your column over the week kind of knows the answer to this already, but you're on the pod. How how do you feel about that whole notion?
1: You know, I'm just not buying it. I am not buying it at all. I do not believe that teams in the NFL, if they need a starting quarterback are going to look at Baker Mayfield and say, Uh, No, they went out and they signed Deshaun Watson to a fully guaranteed $230 million contract over five years. Uh, They gave it to a guy that we don't necessarily uh, like what we're hearing about him lately. So forget it. We're not going to do business with them about Baker Mayfield. That's not what is happening at all. And I know that narrative is being put out there. I understand it. Kind of know where it's coming from. But that's not what's happening. What's happening is, Teams do not want to pay the Cleveland Browns, I mean, Baker Mayfield's salary of $18.86 million. And that's basically it in a nutshell. There would be a number of teams that would be interested in Baker Mayfield at a lot less money than that. There would be a number of teams that would be interested in Baker Mayfield if the Browns decide to cut them, which I don't see that happening unless they finally just decide that, um, that they have no other way out. And the only reason why there would be some small incentive to do that is because the new team that signs him, and if he can get himself into a little bit of a uh, bidding war out there, then that money comes off of the $18.86 million. He does not have offset language in his contract. So if he goes out and somebody gives him 4 or $5 million, that comes off of what the Browns owe him. and. That might be all they were going to get anyways in a trade. Now, of course, in a trade, you're hoping to get some draft pick compensation. So they're going to continue to do that. They're going to work through that. But the Browns also did business and made trades with, I believe it was three teams during draft weekend and also talked to the Panthers pretty extensively about Baker Mayfield. So this notion that nobody wants to do business with them because of what they did for Deshaun, it's, it's really just not accurate. And, you know, I mean, I would like to throw some water on it because I just know it's not true.
0: There's, I mean, there's too many other factors, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, right? It's the money, it's the performance. It's, you know, if, if Baker were an elite quarterback or a good quarterback that people really believed could win, then somebody would trade for him right now and they wouldn't care if the Browns gave Deshaun Watson $230 million. There's just, there's too many other factors. And I think the other factor too is, what if baker comes into your team and plays okay above average well now you're the team that has to sit there and make a decision on baker at the end of the season and figure out what you want to. it's just such a complicated it's a complicated move and he hasn't done himself any favors and, and look the browns haven't either there's nobody will blame them for going to get the quarterback that they wanted but that you know they put themselves in a tough spot too
1: yeah they they have um and this is not to say that everybody loved the deal that they did with Deshaun Watson. We know for a fact that teams did not like that because it puts now it puts these teams under the gun to have to give out these kinds of fully guaranteed contracts. And we even know that uh, Ravens owner Stephen Bisciotti came right out and said on the record that uh, that he did not like that and didn't think that Deshaun was the first person that should get a contract like that. And the inference there was. Uh, with everything that's going on with him right now off the field. So um, so we know that teams did not love it, uh, but you have to remember too, uh, the Ravens owner is in a position where he's got to pay Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is up for his blockbuster extension. And now the bar is set very, very high. So you have teams like that that have a vested, vested interest in not loving that deal. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the Panthers or the Seahawks or any other team uh, that might have some kind of interest in Baker Mayfield doesn't want to do business with the Browns because of the Deshaun deal.
0: Now, the other part of, uh, of this question was about Sam Darnold and, and Carolina and basically saying, would you swap those two? If Carolina said, we'll give you Sam Darnold"? I don't, I don't know why they would throw a pick on top of that too, but what, whatever the deal looked like, if it resulted in Sam Darnold on the Browns, is that a swap you would make? I mean, Darnold wouldn't ever play here either, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's better having him the Baker.
1: Well, it depends on the pick. It depends on the pick that's coming with it. Right. I Probably, mean, yeah. If, if you're getting a high enough pick and you find yourself doing an NBA style sort of salary dump, brock osweiler style then uh you know then maybe that makes some kind of sense um but you know it would have to be a significant pick for you to want to do that because like you said you know sam darnold is not going to be playing quarterback for the cleveland Browns. um if they were going to do you know if they were going to have a quarterback of that caliber on their roster you know Aside from the whole distraction thing, which I guess you can't take that out of the equation, um, but Baker Mayfield is better than Sam Darnold. So this is not some kind of a situation where you think you could get uh, some quality depth out of Sam. I just don't see that happening. It's not the style of offense they're they're trending towards now with Deshaun Watson and with Jacoby Brissett and Josh Dobbs. So um, so yeah, I I I just don't see that happening.
0: Okay, this last one here is going to make you rack your brain a little bit, but here we go. Bill Desherko from Centerville, Ohio, uh, referencing the Kentucky Derby on Saturday, uh, an 80 to 1 winner. After seeing one of the biggest upsets in sports history on Saturday, any memories of big Browns' upsets that you can recall? Hmm. I was trying to think. I mean, Pit- the Pittsburgh playoff game in 2020 was. It wasn't like a huge upset, and I know there were people that felt like the Browns could win that game, but I mean that was a that was shocking in how it played out.
1: Yeah, it was shocking in how it played out. I mean, I guess I would have to, I really would have to rack my brains over this one for a while. Um, There was the Baker victory over Baltimore, uh, in Baltimore.
0: The Freddie year, right?
1: Yeah, in the Freddie year. So, but I mean, it wasn't anything like like the Kentucky Derby. I, I don't think it right. like derby. they
0: have no chance to win this game.
1: Yeah. I don't think it, any, I can't think of anything that, that rose, uh, to that level. Like there's, there's nothing like that that comes to mind. Maybe something does to you, Dan, but it, it doesn't.
0: I can't. Change. The only, the only things I can think of are, like I said, not, not that they, not that they beat Pittsburgh. Yeah, how that game like just the shock of like oh my god it's 28 to nothing what's going on here
1: yeah that felt um, big
0: and i guess like this didn't feel like an upset but when they beat the chargers the one year to go one in 15 that was you know you're starting to feel like they're never going to win a game but there's not like a huge like oh they have absolutely zero chance to win this game and then they end up going and winning. And maybe a part of it is just because they haven't been in a ton of like big marquee important games, honestly.
1: Yeah. I mean, they went 17 years without making the play <laughs> without making the playoffs and 23 years without making a playoff without winning a playoff game. So we don't have a lot of like monumental upsets right. uh, in our uh, in our brains right now. And of course, you know, if you're going to be going all the way back to the 80s, uh, you're talking about, um, you know, them losing those yeah. key important games, you know, maybe, the there a cardiac,
0: maybe there's a cardiac kids game in there that we're not thinking of.
1: Maybe, you know, there could have been some of those, but the cardiac kids were, you know, got to the point where they were expected to win. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I don't know. I Right now, nothing is coming to mind. I'm sure I'll think of something later.
0: Yeah, same here. I can't I can't do much better than. What I said that that comeback in Tennessee, what was that? The Brian Hoyer year when they came back from like twenty eight to I don't even know what the score was, but even that's like okay. It was a mid season game in Nashville against I think yeah yeah I don't remember who the quarterback was then for the Titans, so maybe it was like Jake Locker or something. I it it doesn't it doesn't you know resonate like an eighty to one winner at the Kentucky Derby, especially the way that that the horse came back and won.
1: You know I mean the 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 Pittsburgh playoff game is the the closest thing that I can think of right now, because I think it would have to be a playoff game. I think it would have to be a playoff game to rise to that level.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. I think, I think so too. And, and just like it, I think even people who believed they were going to win that game. And I think you had picked them in that game, but I think even you had to be sitting there like watching that. Oh episode. yeah. Like yeah. what is what's happening right now?
1: Yeah. I wasn't thinking 28, nothing in the first quarter. <laughs> Didn't All have that. Didn't see that coming.
0: Well, I think we've been stumped on this one. So uh, that makes it a, a really good question. Um, I guess, I guess if anybody has any ideas and they are a football insider subscriber, text them to us. Or if you're not a subscriber, you can always get subscribed. You should probably do that. But if you're still holding out, you can maybe leave it in the reviews or something. If, if we're forgetting a, a monumental Browns upset uh, that we need to mention here, uh, at least in recent-ish memory. Uh, okay, so that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, like I already said, if you're not a Football Insider subscriber, just get subscribed. Cleveland.com slash Brown's blue banner at the top of the page. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later.
1: Sounds great.